0: This is Ideas Worth Exploring, by Mark MacDonald. On August 25th, 2012, the Voyager 1 spacecraft became the first man-made object to exit the solar system and enter interstellar space. And that's cool and all, but what does it mean to leave the solar system? Is it just an arbitrary line someone at NASA drew on a map? It turns out that that's a harder question to answer than it first appears. Here's the quick answer. Everyone knows that the solar system extends at least until Pluto, after Voyager passed beyond the orbit of Pluto, it got to what is called the heliopause. Inside the heliopause, most of the matter you come across originated from the Sun, but outside the heliopause, most of the matter comes from other stars. That's why we consider Voyager to be an interstellar space. But there are still things orbiting the Sun farther away than that, like comets and little bits of ice, and Voyager won't pass them for another 14,000 years. So in that sense, it hasn't really left the solar system at all. In the same way, we t- when we talk about definitions for things like planets, it can get a little fuzzy, but scientists have just have to do their best. Today we're going to go on a voyage through the solar system. We're going to go over some topics I'm sure you've asked at some point, like how long would you survive on Mars without a spacesuit? And is it pronounced Uranus or Uranus? And why, oh, why isn't Pluto a planet anymore? All these questions and more will be answered in today's episode. I'm excited for this one because we get to use lots of ideas from previous episodes, including orbits, atomic chemistry, and magnetic fields. I would be remiss if I didn't start out by talking about Aristotle. Of course, I can't talk about everyone who studied the planets in ancient times, there were a lot of other people who were very important in early astronomy, and other cultures such as Mayans, Chinese, Babylonians, Persians, etc. that all had insights into the nature of the stars, Aristotle's my boy, so I'm going to pretend he's the one who did everything. First of all, contrary to popular belief, Aristotle did not believe the earth was flat. He thought it was a sphere. Jokes on him, earth is squished at the poles meaning its actual shape is an oblate spheroid. Second, Aristotle thought that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun and all the other planets orbited around it. Later, During the Renaissance, there was a big hullabaloo about how the Earth and all the other planets actually orbit the Sun, and that's what we settled on. So, I can say with a high degree of confidence that you are not the center of the universe. Third, in the time they knew of seven planets, and they're not the ones you're thinking of. Okay, some of them are the ones you're thinking of. The word planet comes from the Greek word for wanderer, because unlike the stars in the sky that stay fixed relative to each other, the wanderers changed position over the course of days or months. These include the sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So uh, the sun and the moon were considered planets. Those are actually where we get the names for the days of the week: Saturn Day, Sunday, Moon Day. The rest are all named after Roman gods that got translated into Norse gods: Tyr's Day, Woden's Day, Thor's Day, and Freya's Day. In some other languages, the names of the planets are more apparent. For example, Tuesday in Spanish is Martes, in French, Mardi, in Italian, Martedi, all named after the planet Mars. Wednesday in Spanish is Miercoles, in French, Mercredi, in Italian, Mercoledi, all named after the planet Mercury. And so on, with Jupiter for Thursday and Venus for Friday. But, (laughs) I got off topic. Why didn't they include Uranus and Neptune in their list of planets? Because they didn't know those two even existed. Uranus and Neptune generally aren't visible without a telescope, so we won't fault Aristotle that much for not knowing about them. Let's get to definitions. Solar system is the system of stuff that orbits around our sun. If you forgot what an orbit is, there's a whole episode about that called Newton's Laws Applied to Gumballs in Space. It's episode one. Go back and listen to it. Our sun is sometimes called Sol which is the Latin word for sun. Our solar system is named the solar system, or the system containing the star Sol. The weird thing is that any star and its planets are also called the solar system. So in a way, naming our solar system the solar system is kind of like naming your pet dog the dog. But anyway, our solar system is made of the sun and all the planets and asteroids and comets and other junk that orbits around it. So let's take a minute and pretend we're on the magic school bus traveling through the solar system. We're going to start in the middle and work our way outward. In the middle is the sun. The sun is a mass of incandescent gas. That's a lie. The sun is made of mostly hydrogen and helium, which on Earth are usually gases. But in the sun it's so hot that the electrons get stripped away from the gases, and that makes them another state of matter called a plasma. The plasma is a big soup of positively charged hydrogen and helium, and negatively charged electrons, not bonded together at all. So the sun is, in fact, a miasma of incandescent plasma. Sometimes some of the hydrogen and helium, or electrons, get moving fast enough to escape the sun's gravity and magnetic field, and they fly off into space. This is called the solar wind. Solar wind is going to come back later. For now, I'll just say that solar wind is what causes the northern lights. So if you go to Alaska and you don't get to see the northern lights, it just means the sun isn't windy enough. Moving out from the sun, you get to the first planet. A planet is a lump of rock or gas or ice or anything you want that has three properties. First, it has to be orbiting around a star. Second, it has to be big enough that gravity forces it into a spherical shape. Third, we'll get to number three later. So the planets in our solar system, you can remember them with the mnemonic, my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. The first letter of each word is the first letter of each planet in order. My Mercury, very Venus, educated Earth, and so on. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, Uranus, Pluto, whoops, Pluto isn't a planet anymore. Let's fix the mnemonic. My very educated mother just served us noodles. That's better. Before we go on, I want to make sure you stay until the end, so here are some things to be looking for. Two of the planets literally rain diamonds. One of the planets was almost named George. One of the planets is home to what is possibly the coldest place in the universe. One planet rotates on its side. On one planet, a day is longer than a year. And last but least, one of the planets is named Neptune. So my very educated mother, my stands for Mercury. Ever since we lost Pluto, or Pluto. Mercury has been the smallest planet in the solar system. It's only slightly larger than Earth's moon. Mercury is so close to the Sun that the Sun strips off any atmosphere it has, so the surface of Mercury is almost a vacuum. That means that if you were to stand on Mercury and look at the sky, it would just be black. Yeah, the blue color of the sky on Earth is because of the way light interacts with our atmosphere, and no atmosphere means the sky would be black. Because it doesn't have an atmosphere to move the heat around, Mercury gets very hot in the daytime and very cold at night. On Mercury's unlit side, it gets as low as negative 330 degrees Fahrenheit. That's pretty cold. But hey, look on the bright side, where it gets up to 800 degrees Fahrenheit. So despite not being able to breathe, you would also either get frozen or toasted to a crisp on Mercury. Since it's the closest planet to the Sun, You'd think that Mercury would be the hottest planet, but that's a designation that actually goes to the next contender, Venus. Venus is almost the same size as Earth. At its closest point, Venus is actually the closest planet to Earth. So why do we always talk about a Mars colony? Why not a Venus colony? It's because Venus is a hot mess. Venus has a thick atmosphere of carbon dioxide and sulfuric acid. These gases trap heat and make the surface of Venus a whopping 900 degrees Fahrenheit, hot enough to melt lead. Also, the atmosphere is so thick on the surface that you would feel like you were under a mile of water and you would be crushed by the pressure. So yeah, burnt to a crisp, crushing pressure, corrosive atmosphere, that all means we're not likely to build a colony on Venus anytime soon. Also, Venus spins backwards compared to the other planets so that on Venus, the sun rises in the west and sets in the east. Also, a day on Venus, meaning the time for it to rotate once like a merry-go-round, is 243 Earth days. A year on Venus, the time for it to go around the sun once, is 225 Earth days. That means that a Venus day is longer than a Venus year. Weird. Mandatory Venus joke? Why did Venus have to stay home from school? because she had a very high temperature. Feel free to groan out loud. The educated in our mnemonic stands for my favorite planet, the Earth. It's my favorite because that's where I'm from. Earth has an average temperature of about 59 degrees Fahrenheit, which is actually survivable for humans. Though interestingly, Mm -hmm. the coldest temperature we've ever recorded in the universe was also on Earth in a lab at MIT. That's for two reasons. One. The people do in the recording are on Earth, and two, people have invented machines to purposely make things cold, unlike nature that does it accidentally. And we have gotten very good at purposely making things cold. So, until we meet some aliens, it seems likely that Earth will hold the record of coldest place for quite a while. Earth's atmosphere is about 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, a variable amount of water vapor, and then a bunch of other gases that are surprisingly important, like the 0.04% carbon dioxide that plants need to survive. Putting that all together, a human should be able to survive on this planet for about 80 years or so? Okay, we need to talk about moons. Earth is the first planet out to have any moons, and the rest of them all have two or more. Earth's moon has the uninspired name of the moon, kind of like naming your pet armadillo the armadillo. The moon is tidally locked to Earth. That sounds like it should mean that the moon influences the ocean tides on Earth. And while that's true, tidal locking actually means something different. What it means is that the time it takes for the moon to make one revolution is the same as the time it takes for the moon to orbit Earth once. That means that we always see the same side of the moon, no matter what time of year it is. That might be why we have the phrase, the dark side of the moon, even though it isn't really accurate hypothetical situation. Your friend tells you no one has ever seen the dark side of the moon. What do you say? You could say something like this. It's true that the far side of the moon isn't visible from Earth. We've only seen it by sending a spaceship out there to take pictures, but the far side of the moon isn't always dark. It has day and night just like the Earth does, just once a month instead of once every 24 hours. Got that? All right, enough about Earth and its moon. Time to talk about planet Elon. I mean, Mars. Its name is actually Mars. Elon Musk is neither paying me nor influencing me in any way to call it planet Elon. Mars is the red planet. It looks red in a telescope because it is red. The surface of Mars is covered in iron oxide, also known as rust. The whole surface of Mars is covered in a layer of rusty dust. Walking through the dust would quickly wear away at your spacesuit. Mars is smaller than Earth. It only has about three-eighths of Earth's gravity, so that you could jump much higher there than you would, and you would weigh less. If you weigh 200 pounds on Earth, then you'll only weigh 75 pounds on Mars. Easy way to lose weight, just move to Mars. Mars only has a very thin atmosphere. You would have to wear a space suit any time you were outside or your tears and saliva would start to boil. Just like in outer space, if you try to hold your breath in that low of pressure, your lungs would rupture immediately. So, if you're on the surface of Mars or anywhere else without an atmosphere and you don't have a spacesuit on, your best bet is to not hold your breath. If you follow that advice, your lungs won't rupture, but you'll still pass out after about 15 seconds from lack of oxygen. You'll be dead after about two minutes. So, you'd better hope your buddies have a spacesuit and can take you to safety real quick colonists on Mars would spend almost all of their time inside pressurized habitations where you wouldn't have to wear a space suit. But there's still another problem that uh, they would have to deal with. Remember the solar wind, the charged particles that come from the sun here on earth we're protected from them because the earth's magnetic field stops them. Even on the international space station, they're close enough to earth that the earth's magnetic field protects them pretty well. But on Mars, Um, Mars has a very weak magnetic field, and it's not enough to protect them from the radiation of the solar wind. Living inside a bunker on Mars would protect you from most of the sun's radiation, but the sun isn't the only source of radiation. Our sun is a wimp compared to some of the bigger stars out there, and they give off even higher energy radiation. You would have to have very thick walls to protect you from all the high-energy radiation from other stars. We still don't have a good way of dealing with this. It's also very cold on Mars, almost the temperature of Antarctica. Mars is farther from the sun than Earth is, so less sunlight reaches its surface, which makes it harder to grow food. And If I still haven't convinced you that living on Mars is a bad idea, then good for you. Elon Musk wants to send a manned mission to Mars before the end of the 2020s. That might be too optimistic of a goal, though. NASA is planning on sending people to Mars as soon as 2037 but these will all only be highly trained astronauts. If you want to feel more like you're involved, then here's something else you can do. NASA is sending names to Mars in 2026. You can sign up and have your name inscribed on a, in microscopic letters on a fingernail-sized chip sent to Mars. It's completely free. Just Google NASA send name to Mars and it will take you to the NASA website where you can sign up. You even get a fake boarding pass. That's enough about Mars, the next planet is Jupiter. No wait, what's this? There's something there. It's not a planet. It's like a bunch of giant rocks floating in space. It's the asteroid belt. Asteroids are, as I said, big rocks floating in space. But you might ask, isn't the Earth just a big rock floating in space? So is the Earth an asteroid? Okay, I'll change my definition. According to Wikipedia, an asteroid is a solid object orbiting a star that is smaller than a planet ranging from dozens of meters to hundreds of kilometers in size. Yep, so far so good. Asteroids are often found in an asteroid belt within a star system. Yep, checks out. During the Galactic Civil War, Han Solo escaped from the Death Squadron by flying into the Hoth asteroid field. Yep, that sounds familiar, and it's on the internet, so it must be true. Asteroids are a type of big rock floating in space that's smaller than a planet. Some of them are very much smaller than the planet. The smallest one we've seen is only about 6 feet wide, but some of them are quite large. One called Ceres is 580 miles in diameter, and it's considered a dwarf planet, just like Pluto. There are about a million known asteroids in the solar system, and there might be more we don't know about. According to the internet, some of them are even known to house baobab trees and little princes. Okay, we've navigated our way through the asteroid field. Now we can actually get to Jupiter. According to Isaac Asimov, though it's actually a misquote, he never actually said this, the solar system is made of three things, the sun, Jupiter, and a bunch of debris. Yep, Jupiter is big enough that all the other planets just look like debris by comparison. Jupiter is so big that all the other planets in the solar system could fit inside it. Other interesting Jupiter facts. First, it has a big red spot that's actually a storm that's bigger than the planet Earth. Second, Jupiter literally rains diamonds. There's a lot of soot and lightning in its atmosphere. And when the lightning hits the soot, it turns into a diamond and starts to fall. And third, if you tried to land on Jupiter, you would be in trouble because Jupiter is made almost entirely of hydrogen and helium gas. So landing on it would be like trying to land on a cloud. You'd go straight through until you got deep enough inside that you either burned from the heat or got crushed by the pressure. Next planet. Saturn has rings. What are the rings made of? Bits of asteroids, comets, and maybe even what used to be moons that were broken up by its powerful gravity. By the way, if you were to bring our moon's orbit close enough to Earth, the moon would break up into little pieces and become a ring. Saturn is the other planet that rains diamonds, just like Jupiter. Also, Saturn has a very interesting moon named Titan. Titan is actually bigger than Pluto. It has enough of an atmosphere and low enough gravity that if you glued wings to a human, the human would be able to generate enough lift to fly. Titan is also where Thanos grew up, back before all the Infinity War and destroying half the universe stuff happened. Remember when Iron Man, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, and Spider-Man all fought against Thanos on an alien planet? Yeah, that wasn't a planet, that was Titan, the largest moon of Saturn. It's okay, we're almost to Pluto, you just have to speed through two more planets. Uranus is the planet with the most unfortunate name. Uranus is the butt of many jokes. (laughs) It was discovered much later than the planets we've already discussed. The guy who discovered it wanted to name it after King George. I think George would have been a much better name than Uranus, but his contemporaries wanted to keep the Roman god theme going, so they named it after the personification of the sky and the heavens, who happen to be named Uranus. Two last facts. Uranus is mostly made of ice, and compared to all the other planets, Uranus orbits the sun on its side. My very educated mother just served us noodles. Noodles are for Neptune. Neptune is the farthest planet from the sun. It's too far away to see with the naked eye, no matter how good your eyesight is. Methane in its atmosphere turns the planet a beautiful blue color. Neptune is also maybe the most boring planet, because I have nothing else to say about it. But what about Pluto? Why isn't Pluto a planet? We've already mentioned two things you need to be a planet. First, you need to orbit the sun. Check. Second, your gravity must be strong enough to make you roughly spherical. Also check. So on to number three. The planet must exert orbital dominance and clear its neighboring region of other objects. What does that mean? It means that the orbit of Pluto contains asteroids and other space rocks, and if for Pluto to be a planet, then that can't happen. In fact, Pluto is part of a second asteroid belt called the Kuiper Belt, and it's not the only large spherical object orbiting the Sun in the Kuiper Belt. Other objects that meet the first two criteria, such as Haumea and Makemake, share the Kuiper Belt with Pluto. So do they all get to be planets? Or maybe since they're in the same orbit, they all get to share a single planet's worth of planetness and each of them gets to be a third of a planet? Or maybe they can take turns being a planet where each one gets to be a planet for a year at a time? None of those ideas sounded great to astronomers. And that wasn't all. They discovered another object called Eris, that was even bigger than Pluto. It has a weird orbit that takes it farther out than most Kuiper Belt objects, but it's spherical and orbits the sun. So if Pluto is a planet, then Eris would definitely need to be a planet. The International Astronomical Union decided that it would be too confusing to keep adding planets left and right. So they created a new class of objects called dwarf planets, which include any body that meets the first two criteria but is too weak to clear its orbit of other space junk. To be consistent with this definition, Pluto had to be considered a dwarf planet as well. It was a hard decision, either make school children learn the names of a bunch of new planets that aren't very important and don't really seem like planets at all, or reclassify Pluto and the rest as dwarf planets. And they decided to reclassify them all as dwarf planets. So maybe we should consider another question. Why did it upset so many people when Pluto is no longer a planet? The main reason, I think, was tradition. We had nine planets for so long that it felt like a betrayal to get rid of one. But that's progress for you. When traditions hold us back from understanding how the universe really works, we let them go. Reclassifying Pluto was a positive step forward, embracing new knowledge, a new understanding about the universe in which we live. There's plenty more to talk about, the Kuiper Belt, Trojans, Centaurs, Eris, the Orc Cloud, Heliopause, Comets, Meteoroids, the hypothetical Planet Nine. But considering the price of gas, I don't want to take our magic school bus that far out, so I'm going to stop here. But here's some advice. If you ever meet someone who's still angry about Pluto, just give them space. Thanks for listening. Next time we're going to be talking about dinosaurs. Peace. This has been Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark McDonald.